Well, if you would, let me encourage you to, to turn in your bulletins uh, to the scripture reading. Uh, you're welcome to turn your Bibles, but I'm going to be pulling from a couple of different passages uh, from Ephesians 4 and also uh, from Matthew 18. In 1984, a man named Ronald Cotton uh, was sentenced to life in prison for a rape that he did not commit. Two years later, he got a second trial. And at this second trial, the defense brought forward another potential suspect. Uh, but the rape victim, a lady named Jennifer Thompson, said that she'd never seen this second suspect. She had no idea who he was, never seen him in her life. And so Ronald Cotton was sent back to jail and spent 11 more years in prison. After those 11 years, through DNA testing, it was found that Ronald Cotton had not committed this crime, but that the other suspect, who the lady thought she had never seen, was the one who had actually raped her. And so now... Jennifer Thompson was having to, she had to wrestle with what had happened to her, this horrible crime that had happened to her. And now she had to wrestle with the fact that she had played a role in sending this guy who didn't do it to prison for 13 years. And she wrestled with that for about two years and she finally said, you know, here's what I've got to do. And so she called Ronald Cotton and they sat down at his church to talk. And this is what she said. I'm sorry. If I spent every day for the rest of my life telling you how sorry I am, it wouldn't come close to what I feel. And Ronald Cotton was quiet for a moment, and, and then he said, I'm not mad at you. I've never been mad at you. I just want you to have a good life. And they went on to, to talk for two hours, and then as, kinda, as, as the sun's going down and leaving the church, they embrace, they hug, and their, their families are gathered around, and they're all just weeping at this forgiveness and reconciliation that has taken place. Now, how was it that, that Ronald Cotton was able to, to do that? How was he able to forgive Jennifer Thompson? Well, while he was in prison, he was actually in prison with the guy for a while who he knew had committed the crime. And at one point, um, he was going to, to make a knife and kill this guy. And his dad found out about it, and he said, he convinced him not to do that, and he pointed him to Jesus instead. And Ronald Cotton embraced Jesus Christ and became a believer in Jesus Christ. And listen to what's written about him here. Worn out and broken, carrying the burden of being convicted for a crime he had not committed, Ronald Cotton turned to Jesus and found the Savior who was more lovely and gracious and gentle than he could ever imagine. And the brilliant light of Christ shone through his own life so that he could in turn demonstrate Christ's grace to Jennifer Thompson. <clears throat> I had a friend once he was preaching a sermon and he said that suffering will either make you bitter or it will make you beautiful. And when you're, you or I are sinned against, that's a, that's a suffering that we have to go through. And the way that we handle that, the way that we react to being sinned against, will either make us bitter or it will make us beautiful. Most of us have probably never gone through what Ronald Cotton went through. 
But some of us have dealt with abuse, sexual, uh, emotional, verbal abuse. We've been sinned against by our parents, uh, by our spouses, by our extended families, by our employers, by other people in the church. Uh, we're, we're fallen people, and, and, and we live in a, in a fallen world. We're going to sin against other people, and other people are going to sin against us. Uh, Paul Tripp has a book on marriage, and it's called, What Did You Expect? When Two Sinful People Marry. Like, what, what did you really expect was going to happen? Uh, sin is real, and being sinned against is real. The question is, how can you and I deal with being sinned against in such a way that we become beautiful and not bitter? So that's what I also want to think about today. Uh, let's look at the text, Ephesians 4, 32, and then we're going to read a couple of passages also from Matthew. This is God's word. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And then from Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. We pray for us. God, I pray for grace uh, as I speak, that you would help me to speak accurately and faithfully and truthfully. And I pray that you would give us ears to hear the truth of your scripture. And I pray that that truth would not fall on hard hearts, but that you would soften our hearts so that we might receive this truth gladly. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
as you can tell from these texts that I read, the path that you and I have to walk if we're going to become beautiful people and not bitter people when we're sinned against is the path of forgiveness. And forgiveness is one of those things that sounds great when we're talking about God forgiving us, right? Uh, I'm a sinner and Jesus paid for that debt and that means my sins are forgiven and I get to go to heaven. My debt's canceled. Rock on. You know, I, I like the sound of that. And then you say to me, well, that now means that you, if you've been forgiven in that way, you ought to also forgive other people. And we go, yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. That makes, that makes perfect sense. And that's all great until you actually have to do it. When it becomes something that's not just theoretical, but something that you actually have to work through in your life. Until you have to work through how somebody else has screwed up your life. And you have to figure out how to love them and forgive them. And that's not easy. In fact, I would say that's impossible apart from the enabling power of Jesus in our lives. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to think about all that. I want to, I want to define forgiveness for us. Talk about the process of forgiveness. Talk about where we receive power to forgive. Um, and talk about a couple other things, too. I'm not going to say all those. You'll forget them anyway. Um, let's start the, with, with the definition of forgiveness. What is forgiveness? If you were to go and ask Dr. Phil or kind of one of our psychological talking heads on television, they would probably tell you that forgiveness is primarily about you. It's a way for you to get emotional closure on a situation. Uh, even one Christian author defined forgiveness as ceasing to feel resentment or anger over an offense or perceived offense. Uh, he saw it more as a private strategy for you to deal with bitterness and hate. So in, in, in his view, forgiveness is a feeling. Whereas biblically, it's more than just a feeling. It's a commitment to actually pardon the person, to pardon the person who sinned against you. In his, new, in his view, forgiveness in, is private. Biblically, it's something that happens between two parties. There, there are two people involved in this transaction of forgiveness. It's not just about letting go. It is that. It is that, but it's more to that. It's forgiving somebody with a view to actually being reconciled to them. Uh, Ephesians 4 that we just read tells us to forgive as God in Christ forgave you. Now, how does that work? Think about that for a minute. Romans 6 tells us that the wages of sin is death, that we owe a debt because of our sin before a holy God, and that the, the debt that we owe is eternal death. But at the cross, Jesus pays the debt that we owe. He pays the debt for all who trust in him. He brings about the forgiveness of our sins by paying our debt. Um, Think about it like this. When somebody sins against you, a, a debt is created, and somebody has to pay that debt. Um, I was telling some people earlier last night, I'm, I'm sitting at my desk trying to, to write this sermon, uh, when suddenly I hear this loud crash, and I see this truck in the road, looks like it's run over something, and I can't figure out what it's run over. And they get out, and they, they, they look around, and they take off. I'm like, what's going on? And about five minutes later, that they come back and they get out of the car again and they look around and then they peel off and take off. And so I go outside and what has happened is they came around the curb too fast and my neighbor across the street has a, a brick column about this tall and about this wide 
and they had slammed into that with their truck, and then it had uprooted the brick column from the ground, and then it had slammed into the gate across their driveway and destroyed the gate. And so I had to call the police and talk to police and yada yada. But but look, when that happened, a debt had been created, right? Like if that fence is going to get fixed, somebody's got to pay for it. You can't just say, oh, never mind. I mean, if it's going to fix, either the homeowner is going to pay for it, or if they find the person that did it, then they're going to have to pay that debt. But that debt has to be paid. If it was my gate, I could absorb the cost of the gate, or I could say, no, this person has to pay the cost of, of what they've done. Um, Ken Sandy puts it like this. He says, when you're sinned against, you can either take payments on the debt or you can make payments on the debt. You can either try to force the other person to make the payments or you can make the payments yourself. But what's it look like to try to make them pay the debt? All right, you've been sinned against. What does it look like when we try to make them pay the debt? It's us withholding forgiveness. It's us dwelling on what they've done to us, what they did wrong. It's being cold toward them. It's giving up on the relationship, saying, I'm not going to do this anymore. It's trying to inflict emotional pain. It's gossiping. It's, it's lashing out against the other person. It's how we try to make other people pay the debt. Like something's happened, gonna, you're going to pay for this. This is your fault. Uh, Sandy goes on to write, these actions may provide a perverse pleasure for the moment, but they exact a high price from you in the long run. As someone once said, unforgiveness is the poison we drink hoping the other person will die. So when you or I are sinned against, we can try to make the other person pay the debt, or we can pay the debt and release them from the penalties they deserve to pay. Uh, sometimes God enables us to do that all at once. You know, we're just given grace to kind of say, I, I forgive you, and it's a quick and easy payment. Kind of like, all right, and, and we, just, we just move on from that. Uh, other times that's not the case. Sometimes when there's been this deep wrong that's been committed to us, we actually have to go through the process of paying that debt down, and we're trying to forgive them, we have to pay that debt down actually over time. Because there's going to be certain effects of that other person's sin that don't just go away immediately. And so it, it's, it's like you're paying the debt to, to, to work through that over time. Uh, it may involve fighting through painful memories. Like you, don't, you just can't make yourself forget all at once and move on. And you have to fight against those memories that you want to bring back up and dwell on. It may be speaking graciously when you're like, I don't really want to speak graciously right now. And so you're, you're kind of continuously paying that debt down, those sorts of things. <clears throat> you can see from that that when we forgive somebody, that's actually a voluntary form of suffering. It's a voluntary form of suffering. We're saying, I'm, I'm going to pay the debt down. I'm going to suffer instead of trying to make you suffer for what you've done. Isn't that kind of crazy? Isn't that kind of crazy that we would do that? That's forgiveness. Well, what's the, what's the process of forgiveness? Let's, let's talk about all right, how, how might that actually work out in your life. So if somebody sins against you, um, is the Bible calling you to immediately say, hey, it's all good, don't worry about it, let's just move on with our business? 
Now, actually, there's a process the Bible lays out for us when we've been sinned against. Because again, the, 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 the goal is reconciliation. The goal of this forgiveness process is there would actually be reconciliation. All right, so, so what do you do? You're sinned against. What do you do? There are some situations where minor things have happened and you really are able to say, you know what, I forgive you, we're moving on, I'm not even going to bring it up to you. Like, you know, something happens, you say something kind of catches me the wrong way, and I don't feel this need to, like, run you down and talk about it. It's like, you know what, that's not who they are, and I just, like, we're going we're gonna to let that go. I'm not going to make a big deal about that. And that's actually biblical. Uh, Proverbs 19.11, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it's his glory to overlook an offense. Proverbs 12.16, the prudent ignores an insult. 1 Peter 4.8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. So sometimes you really can just kind of let it go and just move on and not give it a second thought. However, there are other times when you just, for whatever reason, can't let it go. It may be that that sin is, is so damaging to you that you're not able to do that. You're not able to let it go. It may be that they're actually hurting other people in the way that they are sinning. That sin may be actually hurting them. You may see somebody who's actually stuck in a sin, and it's the same thing over and over and over again. At this point, you really do need to con confront that person. That is not loving to not confront them. But Proverbs, again, better is open rebuke than hidden love. So there are times when you just can't get over it, or you don't need to get over it. You need to actually go and, and have a conversation with this other person about what's going on in their lives. It's, it's actually loving them to confront them. And it's not loving to not confront them. So at that point, what do you do? Well, the Bible actually shows us in Matthew 18 that we, we just read. Uh, you start by going by yourself and uh, addressing the matter with them alone. And if that doesn't give any, get you anywhere, you pray about it for a while and you go back with a couple of other people and try to address the situation. And if that still doesn't get anywhere, then you get the church actually involved in the situation. But I think most of us, when we're sinned against, and it's not something we can kind of let go, I think we do either one or two things. We either blow up, like we get mad, we yell, whatever it is we do when we get mad at the other person, we blow up at them. Or we say, well, love covers a multitude of sins, and I'm not going to bring this up, but we don't get rid of it. Like, we keep sweeping it under the rug. Like, we're saying, ah, it's all right, but it's not really okay. And you know what happens when you sweep a bunch of junk under the rug for a long time? It's kind of nasty under there. And, and that's, you can see my office for that. But that's, that's, that's what happens. That's what we tend to do. It just creates this huge mess. And, and I was thinking about this. I think one of the reasons we don't grow probably as we could as believers is because we don't practice loving biblical confrontation with each other. Like, we're just, we're just un uncomfortable with that in everyday life. And so when something really big happens, it's completely foreign to us because we haven't made a habit of actually doing this. We've just been sweeping things under the rug, and they just slowly build to this point where they finally explode in, in our lives. And some of that, I think, is just our southernness. Like, <clears throat> somebody told me one time the biggest sin in the South is to not be nice. Right? And, like, people who move down here are like, what in the world? Like, can't y'all just speak the truth to each other? Like, we lie to each other all the time. 
Because we, there's nothing worse than not being nice to another person. And I think that's a huge hindrance to our growth in grace. Because we're not able to speak the truth to other people, and we're not able to hear it either. Like, our, just, our, just, our righteousness is shattered when someone speaks to us like that. Uh, Y'all know my Flannery O'Connor quote, um, religious people think to away, the way to avoid Jesus is to avoid sin. Religious people think the way to avoid Jesus is to avoid sin because we don't want to be those people who really need Jesus. That's that person with a dramatic testimony who really needed Jesus. I've been in the church my whole life, and I got my stuff together, and I, yeah, I know generically I need Jesus, but I don't really need Jesus. It's those, those screw-ups are the ones that really need Jesus, and I don't want to admit that I'm a screw-up. I don't want to be one of those people that actually have to need Jesus. Um, so imagine like one of you came to me and it's like, Justin, you're really being a, a jerk about whatever. Now my knee-jerk response might be, you're crazy. What are you talking about? Uh, or it might be, oh, really, I'm sorry about that. And then, then I go home like, what are they talking about? You know, but what happens if I actually hear what you're saying to me? At, at that point, I, I have to, my righteousness is kind of shattered, right? That we all are so careful to guard, like, oh, I'm not as put together as I would like to think that I am. And I actually have to rely on the righteousness of Jesus and not my own. And even though we talk about that all the time, that's very uncomfortable for us to actually have to do. To admit that I'm not who I portray myself to be, and I am actually am a sinner who needs Jesus Christ. But if I'm able to do that and to own that and to own what you're saying to me, then I have to run to Jesus. And when I lean into Jesus and I experience his love and forgiveness again, then I actually begin to grow and make progress in the Christian life. Not because I got my junk together, but because I'm leaning on Jesus and drawing from him. So, somebody sins against you. Option one is, if it's something you can let go, then you let it go. Uh, if you can't, then option two is to confront that person. Now, <clears throat> what happens if they repent? All right, you confront them and, and they repent. Uh, Luke 17 says, if your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. Jesus doesn't say, well, think about forgiving him. You can forgive him if you feel like forgiving him. He says, if your brother comes to you and they repent, then you need to forgive him. And that can be really hard, right? In fact, in the text we just read, Peter's like, well, how many times do I have to do that? Seven times? And Jesus says, no, 77 times. Which, and don't keep track. Uh, Jesus is not giving you a magic number. He's just saying as, as many times as they repent, then you continue to extend forgiveness to them. Well, what if the person doesn't repent? Like, what if I confront this person? They're just like, I'm not, I'm not sorry. I'm not, I'm not changing my mind about that. What, what do we do then? On the one hand, Jesus does say in Luke 17, if he repents... If he repents, forgive him. On the other hand, in Mark 11, he says, When you stand praying, when you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. So it sounds more like, well, I got to forgive them whether they repent or not. Or which, how does this work? Do I, do I not have to forgive them if they don't repent? Or do I just have to forgive them no matter what? I think what Scripture is calling us to do in these situations is whether a person has repented 
or not, it, the Bible's calling us to have a forgiving attitude. The Bible's calling us to have a forgiving attitude. I don't dwell on it. I don't seek vengeance. I try to figure out how to love this other person. But I can't grant forgiveness in this kind of a transactional sense until they actually repent. I can't have a restored relationship with somebody who doesn't want a restored relationship. I can't promise not to bring it up again. I can't promise not to get other people involved in the discussion. I can't promise it won't stand between us because they haven't actually repented. I can't pronounce forgiveness and have a restored relationship unless the other, the other party actually repents. Well, think about it. When, when God forgives us, does he forgive just everybody? Does he forgive people who refuse to repent and put their faith in Jesus? No. You, you receive that forgiveness as you repent and trust in Christ. Now, that's not an excuse. You can't use that as an excuse not to love the other person or to move toward that person or to pray for them. And you say, well, you haven't repented yet, so the heck with you. I don't have to forgive you. Here's the best way I know how to put it. The Bible is calling you to extend your hand to the other person. Right? And that really takes a heart attitude of forgiveness, right? To be able to do that, to even get to that place. Because otherwise, you just kind of stand like this. And so I think the Bible's calling you, whether that person is repented or not, you're doing this. And you're saying, I want to be restored with you. But you can't grab that other person's hand and make them shake your hand. You have to leave that in God's hands. And that transaction of forgiveness is not actually complete until you've shaken hands on it. It's only gone about halfway. Uh, here's how John Piper put it. The difference is that when a person who wronged us does not repent with contrition and confession and conversion, he cuts off the full work of forgiveness. We can still lay down our ill will. We can hand over our anger to God. We can seek to do him good. But we cannot carry through to reconciliation or intimacy. Uh, Dan Allender put it this way. He said, a forgiving heart cancels the debt but does not lend new money until repentance occurs. This is a great way to put it. A forgiving heart opens the door to any who knock, but entry into the home, that is the heart, does not occur until the muddy shoes and dirty coat have been taken off. The offender must repent if true intimacy and reconciliation are ever to take place. That means that cheap forgiveness, peace at any cost, is not true forgiveness. Well, Anyway, that's something of the process of forgiveness. Where do we get the power to work through this? Where do I get the power to begin to, to forgive people from my heart, to, to offer forgiveness from them? It's hard. It's not natural. Where do I find the ability to do this? Ephesians 4 says we forgive as God in Christ forgave us. What's the parable about, the long parable about? The parable tells us that we're in the position of someone who has been forgiven a debt of what amounts to 193,000 years worth of wages. That in Christ we've been forgiven that kind of debt. That Jesus has paid an infinite debt for you. A debt that you in your own strength could not pay. That you and I deserve to be in hell 
paying off that debt forever. And Jesus paid it for me. And when you get that, and the more you get that, the more humble that makes you. Who am I to sit in judgment over another person? Who am I to, ref to refuse to forgive this thimble full of sin when God has forgiven this aircraft carrier full of sin in my own life? My ability to forgive you flows from seeing how God has forgiven me in Christ. My ability to suffer for you in forgiving you comes from seeing Jesus' willingness to suffer for me in order to forgive me. Uh, Hassan Minaj uh, is a comedian. He's an Indian-American. Uh, he immigrated here when he was very young and, and grew up in California. And as he was growing up, he developed a crush on this girl named Bethany. And he called Bethany his great white princess. Uh, she, had, she had moved to California from Ohio, and he had this crush on here. And they, they kind of hit it off, but nothing had really developed. Well, it got to be time for the prom, and nobody in their calculus class had a prom date. And so the teacher was giving them grief about this. He said, everybody in this class is going to have a date for the prom. It's part of your grade. All right? You, you've got to find a date for the prom. And so everybody in the class finds a date except Hassan and Bethany. They're the last two. And so Bethany asked him to the prom. And he's like, you know, his dreams come true. And he's like, yes, I'll go with you to the prom. He goes home, and his dad says, no, you can't go to the prom. And so he calls Bethany and says, I'm going to ride my bike to your house, and then we'll take your dad's car, and we'll go to the prom. So you can see the guy, he gets all dressed up. You know, his dreams are coming true. He rides his little bicycle uh, to Bethany's house. And he knocks on the door, and Bethany's mom answers the door, and she's kind of surprised when she sees him, and she says, oh, Bethany didn't tell you. And he kind of looks behind her, and he sees the captain of the water polo team is there kind of like pinning the corsage on Bethany. He's there to take her to the prom. And she says, Bethany didn't tell you. Well, we're taking a lot of pictures of this event to send to our friends in Ohio, and it would just look better if you weren't in them. It would look better if there's a white guy in the pictures that we send back home. And so Hassan got on his bike. He said he went home and played Mario Kart all night. That's not a bad thing to do. Um, and so they, they, they got to class, and the teacher's like, well, how'd it go? You know, how was it for everybody? What happened, Hassan? And Hassan said, I just really didn't feel like going. Bethany had come up to him and said, please don't, please don't tell everybody what my family did. And Hassan says, I just really didn't feel like going. And so he completely took the blame for her. It was not his doing at all. It was completely her doing. And that's what Jesus has done for us on the cross. He has completely taken the blame for my sin in order to grant me forgiveness. And it's only as I see that that I'm enabled then in turn to go and forgive others. And so when you find yourself unable to forgive, you can't just work that up. You have to keep going back to the gospel and going back to Jesus and seeing the way in which he has forgiven you. Next point, I know this is a little bit long today, but I want to talk real quick about the necessity of forgiveness. The necessity of forgiveness. Why is forgiveness necessary? Well, once, it really is good for you. Like there's all these studies like it makes you healthier and happier and yada, yada, yada. Like they've, just, they've done research to show this. 
Uh, secondly, when you forgive, it brings glory to God. And it brings you to a better place than carrying a garage around for the rest of your life. It really will get you to a better place. But, but I want you to see, number three, what this text says. Here's this servant who has been forgiven 193,000 years wages, and he goes and finds somebody who owes him three months wages, and the guy says, please be patient with me. Let me find time to pay this off. He says, uh-uh. And he, he, he chokes the guy, and he throws him in prison. He says, you're going to stay there until this gets paid off. And then the master finds out, and here's what, listen to what the master says again. Then the master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you not, do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, the, the point of that is not that by our forgiving, we somehow earn forgiveness. But the point is that someone who has truly received forgiveness will be a forgiving person. A necessary consequence of the gospel is that we extend forgiveness to others. And it doesn't mean there are not consequences for people's sin, but we, we have to forgive other people. We have to forgive other people. And Jesus is saying, if you're not a forgiving person, it may be that you're just not converted. That, that you don't get the gospel. That you don't get what has been done for you. Because if you got that, if you understood that, you would offer forgiveness to others. It's necessary for the Christian. Now, last thing. And I just want to tell this story to, to kind of tie all this together and, and help you see a little bit of all these dynamics at work. Um, and to show how powerful forgiveness really can be. Hector Black is this guy. He's like an 80-something-year-old organic farmer who lives in Tennessee. Uh, but during the Civil Rights Movement, I, I forget where he was living then, but he moved to Atlanta, like to Martin Luther King Jr.'s neighborhood. And he wanted, he's a white guy, and he wanted to participate in, in the Civil Rights Movement. And so he moves into this inner-city neighborhood in Atlanta. Uh, there's a young black girl who starts coming over to his house, she, she's just from a terrible family situation, and he winds up adopting this girl. Uh, she grows up. They consider her their daughter. She goes to college. He moves, Hector and his family move to Tennessee. This girl moves back to Atlanta, back in that same neighborhood, and starts working with, with other kids. And one night, somebody high on crack broke in and assaulted her. He actually broke into the house three times and eventually killed her and left her dead. Um, and this is what I'm about to read for you is Hector talking about, you know, they give the family sometimes to say something to the, to the guy who's been convicted. So the guy's been convicted of this crime. And this is Hector talking about his experience of talking to the guy that's killed his daughter. He said, I was, I was saying how much we love Patricia, how much she meant to us. And how wounded we were by what had happened. And I said, I don't know if I've forgiven you, Ivan Simpson, but I don't hate you. I hate with all my soul what you did to my daughter. And then somebody turned me around to face him to say the last thing I had written. And I was looking at him in his eyes and I said, I wish for all of us who had been so wounded by this crime, I wish that we might find God's peace. And I wish that also for you, 
Ivan Simpson. And then tears were streaming down his cheeks. It was the first time I looked into his eyes, and it was like a soul in hell. He was sentenced to life without possibility of parole. He's going to die in jail. There's no way he'd ever get out. So he could have said, to hell with all of you. My life is over. I'm going to die in a damn jail. But he didn't. He went up to the microphone, and twice, with the tears streaming down his cheeks, he said, I'm so sorry for the pain that I've caused. And I thought, you know, he didn't need to do that. It's as though something had happened to him, something had reached him. And then he goes on to talk about the relationship he actually develops with this guy, and they like start exchanging gifts, and they, they become something of, of friends. And eventually he does actually forgive this man who had killed his daughter. And this is what he says. In a way, I knew I had to forgive because I don't know how many times I've said the Lord's Prayer. You know, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive. Well, that means forgive. I mean, that really means forgive. It was realizing that I had no idea what my life would have been like if I had been in his shoes. For me, if you forgive somebody, it is really like you care about them. I guess that's one of the totally weird things that I should care about the man that murdered Trish. It just seems so strange, but we all need to be forgiven. Lord knows. Let me pray for us. God, we do all need to be forgiven. And you provided that forgiveness in Christ. I pray that there's, if there's anybody here who hasn't embraced that forgiveness, that they would. Father, I pray that in embracing that forgiveness of our sins, we would be enabled to forgive others and see the power of grace and work in their lives as well. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.